This is part eight of This Is Us, and we're finishing up our series, basically talking about the theology of the body of Christ. What is the church? What is each believer's responsibility to it? How does that all work? Last week, we talked about prosperity and responsibility, two aspects of being a follower of Christ, because the church is a group of people who have pledged their lives to faithful service of Jesus Christ. This is who we are. We're people who have pledged our lives to this faithful service. And that faithful service really has two intertwined aspects, which is prosperity and responsibility. We have a responsibility to walk in a moral way, to walk with a spiritual connection with God, and we have a responsibility to be faithful. In these responsibilities, we see our lives get better. When we walk morally, we see our relationships get better. When we build our spiritual life and we take care of our spiritual responsibilities, our connection with God and our spiritual life gets better. And when we take care of our responsibilities to be faithful, then we can trust God to take care of us. So that was last week. This week, again, we are going to finish up our series. United We Stand is the title of this week's. So again, we're finishing our series. This is us. Again, we've been talking about the body of Christ. What is the body of Christ? What is the church? You know, we've talked about so many different things. And let me tell you what my goal is for this series. My goal in this series has been to get the people who believe in Jesus to stand together no matter what for the cause of Christ. So that's been the goal to get all the people who believe in Jesus, whoever they are, we've got all kinds of different people believe in Jesus, but we need to stand together no matter what for the cause of Christ. If we do that, beautiful things happen. If we don't do that, then the kingdom of God suffers great loss. So why is this the goal? It's been 32 and a half years since I read a scripture in Matthew chapter 7 that broke my heart. And I want to read that scripture for you today and try to help communicate my motivation for this whole series. It's simply this, Matthew 7, verses 13 and 14. This is Jesus speaking in the Sermon on the Mount. He's teaching thousands of people at a time. He says many, many things, but this is the one, one of the things that he says. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I remember first reading that and thinking, that's terrible. If there is a way to life, if there is the opportunity, not just for a good life now in this life, but a way to everlasting life, and that is fantastic news. That's the good news of the gospel, that we can have life with God now, you know, abundant life now, life to the full, and we can have everlasting life with God forever. Like, that's amazingly wonderful. But it says here that only a few find that. Most people find destruction. And I thought, that is unacceptable. I can't just let that go. But Jesus said more than just that. I want to read a few more things that Jesus said. We're going to go to Matthew again, but this time chapter 16. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says something that has a different ring to it. You know, there's lots of things in the Bible that 
maybe in one time it's showing this angle and another time it's showing this angle. So we need to read through the whole scriptures, get a view of the whole thing before we form a view of what God's plan is or what the ways of God are. And here in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, Jesus was asking his disciples, you know, who do people say I am? And, and they gave a variety of very strange answers. And then he asked his disciples, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you know, you're the Christ, you're the son of God. And this is Jesus' response to Peter. He says, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Jesus says he's going to build his church on the revelation that he is the Christ, and he is going to make a church, a group of people, a group of people called out from the world to service to God. This group of people is going to overcome the gates of Hades. You know, it also says the gates of hell, some places, and that just has such a more powerful ring. You know, the gates of hell will not overcome the church. The church of Jesus Christ is able to go into the realm of darkness, pluck people from death and bring them into life. That's what the church can do. That's amazing. Also in Luke chapter 10 verses two and three, we're going to read something else that Jesus said. And this is what he says here in Luke chapter 10. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. The harvest is plentiful. What that means is we may look out into this world like they did back then and say, oh, there's nothing we can do. This is just too big of a mess. This is just a disaster. Maybe someday God will do something. Jesus was saying, no, don't say four months and then the harvest. The harvest is ready right now. So we can go and we can reap a harvest for the kingdom of God. That means we can help people go from that wide road that leads to destruction into the narrow road that leads to life. And the church of Jesus Christ will not be overcome even by the gates of hell. And so we have a powerful group of people empowered by God to conquer the enemy, to conquer death. And the harvest is plentiful right now. So it's time to go. So this is exciting. And it means that we don't have to just Listen to chapter 7 of Matthew verses 13 and 14 and just throw up our hands and go, well, yeah, I guess it's destruction for most, whatever, and then just slink away. No, we can be part of the solution. Jesus was saying that as an observation. Most people miss it, but everyone can have it. Everyone can come to Christ because Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. Not for a select few, not for this small minority of people, but for everyone. So we can be part of helping people go from death to life, from the wide road that leads to destruction to the narrow road of trusting in Jesus and learning the ways of God that leads to life. We can be part of that. So let's go, right? Let's, let's go. Let's do this thing. But division in the church, in the body of Christ, small mindedness, selfishness, pride, weakness, and sin, all of these things stop us from being that church that Jesus talked about, that the gates of hell would not overcome, stop us from being able to reap the harvest, the harvest that is plentiful. They stop us from that. 
This doesn't have to happen if we would just follow the scriptures. If we as believers in Jesus, each of us individually, all of us coming together, if we would just follow what the scriptures have to say, we wouldn't be stopped by division and small mindedness and selfishness and pride and weakness and sin. Because of course, the scriptures teach us how to overcome those things in our lives and how to come together and to be strong for Jesus. So that's why the goal here is to have everybody who believes in Jesus, whoever they are, come together, no matter what, for the cause of Christ. How many people think it'd be great to have some revival about these days? Time for revival? Do we have a revival in the church, a, a new wave of people coming to Christ? You know, so many people are waiting for a sovereign move of God to change this world. And I've got, I don't know if this is a controversial view or not. I think some people would disagree with me, but here's my thought on that. I think that we're not waiting on God, but God is waiting on us. God is waiting on his people to get serious with their faith and to really grab hold of the things of God, be obedient to the scriptures, and then revival will come. Then we, the people of God, will be filled with the love of God, the compassion of God for everyone. We will be walking in the truth of God and that will bring us into the place where we'll be able to see revival and people reached for the kingdom of God. But if we stay in this place of division and weakness and pride and just all that mess, of course, it's never going to happen. So I think God's waiting on us. We've got to do our part because I believe it's always God's plan for revival. When would it not be God's plan for revival? He wants people to come to him. So we need to be willing to walk in the ways of God. This is eight weeks on this series. (laughs) This is us. I'm not sure how far we've gotten, you know, on the goal, if we've been able to bring people together. This is, again, it's a weird season. It's kind of hard to judge what's going on, but I'm believing for a difference to be made, and it's the last week of the series, so we're going to take our final swing and hope to hit the ball, make some good, solid contact, and see what the Lord can do. So the way we're going to finish up this series is by looking at a section from 1 Peter chapter 1 into chapter 2. So we're going to read from 1 Peter 1, 17 through chapter 2, verse 17. And then we're going to look at some individual verses and see how this applies to us as individual believers in Christ and us as the group, us as the church, you know, the body of believers. So let's go ahead and begin reading that. 1 Peter chapter 1 starting in verse 17. And it says this, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it is not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you are redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you by your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. 
And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect for everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So this is a nice section from 1 Peter. Some amazingly incredible verses in there. And I believe also kind of a progression. Something that explains the progress that we make as individual believers and how we come together and the impact that that can have. So let's look at some individual verses and try to grab hold of what they mean and make sure that we're catching how this section of scripture is supposed to impact our hearts. So let me go to first Peter chapter one, verse 21. And it says this through him, that is through Christ, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. This is where it starts. It starts with believing in God, with trusting in God, with looking at this world and all the things that are going on and thinking, what can I really trust? And you don't think politics, you don't think money, you don't think my health, my position. You think, I can trust God. That's who I'm going to trust. I'm going to trust God, and it is through Christ who reconciles me to God that I am able to do that. We can trust God because a holy sacrifice was made for us of unmeasurable value. Christ crucified for us, for you. That's amazing that that price would be paid 
because of the love God has for you. And that price being paid allows you access to the father. So in reverence to the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross, we trust and obey our Lord. This is the start of our life with God, where we decide to trust Jesus. And it's something that we continue in as the years go by, trusting in the Lord. Then verse 23, it's kind of the immediate follow of that says, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So when we believe in Christ, we trust in him, we're born again, not of perishable seed, meaning that we're born again into an eternal kingdom, an eternal family. We have an eternal inheritance. We're not doomed to destruction and death, but we have life in Christ. We're born again. Such an incredible blessing. But when we're born again, we're born different, not just the same. And then we live forever, but we're born again different. We're born out of the things of God. We're born by the spirit. We're born into the family of God to represent the family of God. So instead of strife and anger, we see a deep love for our fellow believers. You know, we have a sincere love for one another from the heart. We're different and born into eternity. It's an amazing, incredible, glorious blessing, but it's not the end of the section that we read. So we have believing in God and this is possible through what Christ has done. And then we're born again, not repeating the same mistakes, living the same ways, but new or a new creation where the old is gone. The new has come. We get new life, no longer crushed by the things that used to hold us down, but now free. But again, this isn't the end. There's so much more that we, that we read. So let's keep going. Let's go to chapter two, verse two. And it says this, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it, you may grow up in your salvation. It's good to be born again, but you need to grow up. You need to grow up in your salvation. You need to crave that pure spiritual milk, crave the things of God that feed your soul, that help you to grow up. Because if you looked at what appeared to be a healthy newborn baby, you know, nice and and healthy looking and cooing and happy and, and uh, this little 10 pound bundle of joy. And you ask the mom, well, you know, how old is your baby? And they said, 25 years old. You'd be like, oh no, You're like something is terribly wrong. You know, a 25 year old shouldn't look like that, even though it appears to be a healthy baby, but you got to grow up. And it's the same thing, you know, in the spiritual, we need to grow up. So physically we have to grow up and in our walk with God, in our born again existence, we need to grow up as well. We need to become, it isn't over when we give our lives to Christ. That's what starts a new life. But then we grow, we become, we learn, we get stronger, we grow up. So we have a new life without malice or deceit or hypocrisy or envy or slander, we grow up into a new way of being. It's a new life with God, a new life living in the ways of God, living with God. That's what we grow up into. So you believe you're born again, you begin to grow up. 
That's a process, and we're all working on that. Even now, I feel like I'm growing up. You know, I've, I've got a long ways to go. Well, let's forget the things behind and, and go forward towards the goal. Let's grab a hold of it. So we grow up. Then let's go to verse 5, chapter 2, verse 5. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. So a spiritual house or a temple of the Holy Spirit, we then not just stay as individuals who are children of God and growing up in our faith, but we come together to form a temple of the Holy Spirit. God's people come together to make something incredible and beautiful and wonderful as we come together, not just separated, you know, a whole bunch of stones just spread out in a field is nothing compared to those stones being brought together and making an incredible castle, an incredible temple. And that's how we're supposed to be. That's how the scriptures describe us as living stones who come together to form a temple of the Holy Spirit. This is the New Testament temple. In Solomon's day, Solomon's temple was incredible and beautiful, magnificent, awe-inspiring, and the place where the presence of God dwelled. And we, as the people of God, are supposed to be the same. We're supposed to be people walking in the ways of God who are born again, born different, born into things like love and joy and peace and patience, born into the forgiveness of God and the mercy of God, born into faith and living that out, growing up in that and coming together to serve the Lord through that. The rest of the world should be looking at that and going, wow, what is going on with those people? they're doing something right. Just like when people saw Solomon's temple and they're like, wow, he must be doing something right. This is amazing. That should be our testimony to the world as the temple of God. That is the plan for the New Testament temple. Let's jump now to verse nine says this, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So now a temple, living stones coming together to form that New Testament temple. And then we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. We're God's special possession. We are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And this is new to many of us because we used to be separated from God. Now we get to come in. It talked about, you know, once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. You know, for me, I came from the outside. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't grow up hearing about Jesus. I didn't grow up with any of this stuff. And then you get brought in by the love of God and you realize, oh, this is, this is fantastic. This is beautiful and wonderful and glorious that now I get to be one of the royal priesthood. I get to be part of this group, a holy nation, the people of God. We're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Even if this isn't part of our past, when we choose to follow Christ, it is our future. We come together as this royal priesthood to declare the praises and wonders of God. 
I believe we do that for each other to encourage and strengthen each other. And we do that for the world. We declare the good things of God, the wonders of God, the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God, the great plan of redemption, the gospel of Jesus Christ. We proclaim all of these things to the world. That's what we're called to do. Verse 12 says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So I'm saying with that one that we are ambassadors for Christ. It doesn't say here that we are to isolate ourselves from the world, but we are to live in the world, just living your life with everybody else, but representing Christ in that. And there are times where if you do that, you're going to be accused of things. You're going to be looked at. I have people completely misunderstand who I am and what I stand for just because I'm a Christian and their view of Christianity is is just not good. It's not accurate. And so they assume things about me, but it's not true. So I get accused of things that really I have nothing to do with. It, it, It isn't me. It isn't what I stand for. It's not what I want to see happen, but we get accused of things. But what we're called to do is not actually be the problem. Even if we're being accused, we better not, it better not be accurate accusations. It better be things that we're living right. We're representing Christ in this world and we're being falsely accused because we're ambassadors for Christ, living examples of what godliness is and what God can do in a person. I tell you what, there was no, nothing more powerful than someone who was just living a destructive life of misery and pain and causing hurt to everyone around them. And then they change. And then God gets a hold of them and they believe and they're born again and they grow up and they are a living stone in the temple of God. And they're are a royal priest in the royal priesthood, in the holy nation, citizens of heaven. And then people see that and they're like, what happened to you? And you say, I tried as hard as I could to dig out of that pit, but Jesus brought me out. So if you want to get out of the pit, I'll show you. It's the Lord that saved me, can save you and help you just the same. That is a powerful, incredible, amazing testimony that we are to live out. We're to live good lives out there in the world. So that when people see us, even if they accuse us, when Jesus comes, they'll know what's going on. Even in the midst of accusation and persecution, live good lives as ambassadors for Christ. And then verse 15, let me read this one. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. So it is that we are an ambassador for Christ. They see our our good works, but then also we silence the talk of the foolish talk of ignorant people. We are to overcome. This is not being overcome by evil, but overcoming evil with good. You know, setting the record straight, silencing the foolish talk of ignorant people. By doing right, we will solve a lot of problems. By living out the scriptures, the ways that God shows us to live, that's going to solve a lot of problems. Living for Jesus, submitting to his ways makes a difference. Of course, it helps you, but it also helps other people. And we need to make sure when I read verse 15 there, it kind of, uh, you know, like, let's not be the ones that need to be silenced because of ignorant, foolish talk. Let's not be those people. Then we got to go back to the start, believe in God, be born again, grow up. We need to restart the process. If, you know, ignorant, foolish talk should not be coming out of the mouths of believers in Jesus Christ. 
Check your sources. Know what you're saying. Make sure your heart is in the right place when you speak. Very important, or it subverts this whole process. We overcome. We do not speak foolishly in ignorance, but we're led by the Spirit, and we speak the truth in love. When we do that, amazing things begin to happen. So my goal with this series was to get those who believe in Jesus to stand together, no matter what, for the cause of Christ. I want you and me and all of us who believe in Jesus to stand together for the cause of Christ, to set apart our stylistic differences, to set apart our second level theological differences. Now, you got to believe Jesus is Lord. You know, salvation is through faith in his name. You know, things like that, core central truths. Let's agree on those. And then after that, when we get into disputable matters, we can have nice little debates and love each other and hug it out, and it'll all be fine. But we come together as servants of Christ, no matter what, because we know that only when we come together can we stand in the cause of Christ and see the cause of Christ come to pass. So that's what I'm looking for. I think first Peter here really explains it. So let me just run through that again. As we can see that progression, first thing we got to believe in Jesus. We got to trust in God through Christ. Then we're born again and we begin to grow up. We begin to learn. This is where a lot of people get stunted. They don't grow. They just want to stay mad. They want to stay offended. They want to stay ignorant. Don't do that. Grow up. Seek the truth. It can be difficult, and a lot of the assumptions that you have are going to turn out to be wrong, but I tell you what, grow up. It's better. It can be disappointing when you realize that certain things aren't the way that you thought they were, but don't ever worry that Jesus isn't Lord that God doesn't have a plan, that the scriptures aren't true. You don't need to worry about that. So go ahead and seek the truth honestly, because you'll find something good. So we grow up, then we come together to form that spiritual house where the presence of God can be, and we can declare the praises of the Lord to the world. We can be ambassadors for Christ as a chosen people, a royal priesthood. And as we live our lives side by side with people, they see the difference that God has made for us and we overcome. This is the plan of God. This is us, (laughs) the believers in Jesus. At least it's supposed to be. It's God's plan for us if we would only cooperate with him, if we would only submit our lives to the scriptures and do what God has taught us to do. I want to close with a couple of verses that we read in week one from uh, the gospel of John chapter 17. And this is in a prayer that Jesus prayed. And this is shortly before he was going to be captured. It was just right near the end there in that last day and uh, could have been only moments hard exactly to tell, but certainly within the last day before he's arrested and he's praying for the people who will believe in him in the future. And this is a piece of what he says, John 17 verses 20 and 21. Jesus is praying and he says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. 
How important is it for us to stand together no matter what? If we do that, then what Jesus prayed will come to pass. The world may believe that you have sent me. So believer, it's time to rise up. It's time to put away petty differences, put away your pride and your selfishness. It's time to learn the spiritual skills to get the strength to overcome the obstacles in your life, the strongholds that the enemy has to believe that God is greater and grab hold of it, fight the good fight to get to the other side of those things so that you can be part of the solution and you can help people go from that wide road that leads to destruction and be brought onto that narrow path that leads to life because anyone can make that transition because the blood of Christ is enough. If you're someone who has never given their life to Christ, even if you've grown up in church, you sort of, I've always kind of believed in God, but you've never sealed the deal. You've never said, yes, Jesus, I'm in, I'm, I'm your child. I believe in you. I want to be born again. I want to grow in you. I want to, I want to be part of this holy temple. I want to be part of the Royal priesthood. I want to belong to you, be an ambassador for you and overcome. I want that. I don't want to just have this vague idea about God in the back of my head. If that's you, then today's your day. It's time to seal the deal. It's time to go all in and ask Jesus to be a Lord of your life. So we're going to pray and you on your own, whatever you need to do, you pray in your own words and grab hold of these things. So let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, you are so good. Thank you, Lord, for your great plan of redemption. That Lord Jesus, you would be willing to make a sacrifice so great that we can't fully understand. We know you experienced physical pain. We know that you gave your life on the cross for the worst of sinners in this world, for each one of us. Lord, wherever, whatever we've done, Lord, you made that sacrifice. Lord, that's amazing and wonderful and glorious. And Lord, help us to trust in what you've done, to grow in our faith so that we can overcome so that we can be part of the solution and not part of the problem. And Lord, for those who know that they need to say yes to you, I pray right now that you would give them the words to say as they pray in their own words to you, asking for forgiveness because they know it's been paid for, pledging their lives to serve you as their Lord, and then expecting you to guide them in that life. Lord, I pray that your hand would be upon them and that you would just do a great and mighty work in their life. And Father, again, for all of us, help us to see your ways, to walk in them, to be obedient to you and trust you to do great and mighty things because you are good. In Jesus name, I pray. Amen.